The Tablet Show, Episode 54, with guest Atley Hunter. Recorded live Monday, October 8th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Atlee Hunter about building Windows Phone 7 applications. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Indianapolis! Welcome to the Tablet Show! Holy cow. The crowd comes to life. (laughs) They're crazy, but you know what it is? We're in this, this is a former church. That's right. And I think there's a sort of somberness to this space. Yeah. It's a great space. It's very quiet. It makes you want to be reverent. A contemplative. Know, con- contemplative, okay. yes. He's Canadian, sorry. 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 Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Be nice to me. Yeah, Canadian Thanksgiving. It is indeed. So what's the story behind the Canadian Thanksgiving? We heard you guys were coming up almost, so we did it first. <laughs> <laughs> So did it have natives involved oh, yeah. in feasts and well, all that? That sort it's of sort of stuff. the same myth, it's the same basic story. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So uh, we are here with Atlee Hunter, who just wowed the audience with a talk about his experience with mobile apps. Welcome, Atlee. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Yeah. So, uh, we introduced you before you even took the stage as probably the most prolific app writer in the Windows mobile space who's not a company, a single individual. How many apps do you have out there? I'm just past 150 now. Now, 150 that's in the Windows space only or Uh, total? Yeah, 150 in the Windows space. I've probably got about 185 in total. 185 in total. So, mostly Windows phone apps. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of apps. It is. And uh, are you making a lot of money? I'm doing okay. Okay. He's I mean, doing it, okay. How I, many how, of the 150 apps, how many are free? How many are paid? Um, actually, more than 95% of them are free, but so, with ads. So oh, okay. so uh, you, I find that you do put ads on it. Ads, yeah. So the ad revenue is actually a stream at this it's point? Decently, yeah. It's decently. It's doing okay. It's doing you, okay. You mentioned a figure about how much, how many micro cents you get for every impression. What is that? I get one one thousandth of a cent for every time someone sees an, an ad pops up on one of my apps, but uh, six ads pop up per minute on the, uh, the Microsoft ad. So I get hmm. six one thousandths of a cent every second per so second. using my applications. Wow. But so it's a I penny have, every thousand impressions. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And if they actually click on it? Uh, I think it's double that. So it's a penny every 500 clicks. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, yeah. And that's putting the kids through college. Oh, the kids are already through college. Ah. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, I want to start by sort of exploring the space between developing apps for phones that go in the app store and then the role that all of us, most of us, I imagine, have been playing in the software world for the last up to 20 years. You know, we've been building corporate apps and we have a job. You know, it's our job to build 
software and to maintain software for our companies. Along comes this iPhone and all these great devices and the App Store, and there's a gold rush for these kind of apps. And because of that, we sort of get try to s simplify them and the least amount of clicks and the least amount of input. And, you know, it really, f that constraint really forced us to rethink about what an app should be and how well it should be used. And so the re reason I'm going here is that I want to know how much influence this has on corporate software development, this whole, you know, apps for phones and apps for tablets and all of this. Because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a very, if you took all this professional software developers and put them in a room, you know, how many of those people, if they were all competing for apps in the app store, would actually be making that kind of money that they make in corporate software from apps? It's, I, I gotta think it's not very many. Yeah, no, um, I think that, uh, it is definitely a, a paradigm shift in thought for, yeah. for a developer. Uh, looking from, uh, as developers, we tend to want to build the big, look at me, this is a fantastic app, look at all these different things it can yeah. do, it does everything in the world, it'll wash your dishes, you know, park your car for you, and you don't have to do anything else. And what we've really sort of got to get around is the concept that most of the time people are doing one of three different things. They're either, you know, they're multitasking, they're doing something else, and they're trying to get a little bit of information or do something quickly mm. in the middle of it. So they want it quick and efficient and right. easy to use. Or they're local and they're trying to find some information. Usually that's something they want to do quickly and easily and, you know, without a lot of input. Yeah. And the ones where, where you sort of break that, sh that shift is when they're bored. Right. You know, we spend more money as a culture forgetting who we are. <laughs> and being entertained do, and being entertained than we do with anything else if you look at mm. the movie industries and software industries uh, the game industry uh, are huge the gaming industries are huge so when it comes to the corporate mindset and the corporate yeah, what influence does software, all that have on corporate software well what I've been seeing and, and I've actually been, been called out to do a few contracts for a couple of corporations and you see them, they're struggling with the concept of, well, we want to give our customers everything, but realistically, the customers just want one or two things from here, and then you push them. You know, I, I could pull out the, the Alan Cooper terminology here, where there are no sovereign apps on a phone, no, right? exactly. You know, he talked about the sovereign app owning the screen, and, and that was where you focused your attention, and a lot of corporate software is built that way. You know, you're in your ERP system, oh, heck, you're in Outlook. Yeah. It owns a chunk of real estate, you spend a lot of time learning how to use it well, and so forth. Like, all Mobile apps seem to be based on distraction. Either you, you you can only you know give a small amount of your attention to it just to look up what was that address or which way do I turn now or there I'm bored distract me mm -hmm. until the next tweet pops on top of the screen and yeah and then I go do something else yeah. oh, the next distraction and and I mean it it also seems to come from uh, we live in a very ADD society where we've diluted I'm sorry did you say something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel myself, I have uh, OCADD, so I'm incredibly focused on one thing, but only for a very short period of time. Right. Mm. Um, but we find that people are very, very distracted, very easily distracted, and it comes from all of the information coming at us from yeah. every single angle. Overwhelmed is it's, the word I use. We're very overwhelmed. Yeah. We're very overwhelmed. Well, it's, somehow we seem to be like that, too, like, like we like it. Mm -hmm. You know, you watch 
four folks sit down to lunch and everybody's on their phone. Like yeah. nobody's at lunch. Yeah, it's it's actually quite f- fascinating to watch people get together so that they can text each other. Nice. <laughs> so you hear, you know, stories happens all the time that, you know, somebody will bring an iPad into the into work and say to the manager, "Why won't why can't we have our why can't our stuff run on this?" Right? And who was it that brought that up? I can't remember. But it came up in a show. Didn't Tim Huckabee talk about how uh, a whole bunch of iPads showed up at a particular company? Yeah, and they threw them all away. They had to get rid of them because they they all wanted to use it, but it couldn't actually be compliant with the insurance company regulations around it. Yeah, and I think Billy Hollis mentioned that. You know, why why can't our stuff run on this? So clearly... The, you know, I, I think, I think of it like art or music, you know, there's a movement, there's a, there's a culture and that culture permeates up to the aristocracy who can never be touched by whatever, but find themselves being ignored by the rest of society. That same sort of thing is going to happen, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and you can already see it happening where we, you know, we want stuff to be simpler, to be cleaner on our desktops, in our, in our businesses, not just, uh, you know, not just on our iPhones. Well, I think I think that what we're seeing is uh, people are are showing us that, and and you see this uh, displayed very effectively with Windows 8. People are showing us that they want to be able to do things quickly, mm-hmm. but they don't want to be surrounded by eighty other things because it's distracting. You don't get things done. Right. So, I mean, that's why people tend to like the tablets and and the the mobile apps. The iPad is popular because you can read something and actually just read it. Right. And not worry about all the things popping up on the side and around the edges and over on this side and on the second screen. It's almost too small to have a complex app on and, it. And that's, I think that's, a that constraint. that's one of the reasons people are, are, are going towards these devices is mm. because they're big enough to give them the information. That's why the Galaxy Note is so popular. Yeah, which it's, everybody said wouldn't be popular. Exactly. But they, that device got panned, and I've seen it everywhere. Yeah, and it's popular because people say, it's big enough for me to do the stuff I want to do on it mm-hmm. and just do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what they want to do. You know, it's interesting because I always keep looking at Win 8, but I keep looking at the start screen, which is like the ultimate source of ADD I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I have all these tiles twitching away saying, click me, click me, click me. <laughs> but it's only there. It's like they've taken all that twitchy behavior and put it in one place. So it's like, if you'd like to be distracted, sit on the start screen. Yeah. If you want to do something, click on one of these click things. It sort of reminds me of the ADD room at NDC, right? <laughs> yeah. This is a great conference in Norway, Richard and I do, every every year. Well, we're not doing it this year, but... So that you have this one room where you can sit in, and it's sort of like at a stadium, and there's seven or eight screens, and in each screen, you can see one room, the presenters live in that room. And you have a headset and a remote, and you can switch. I want to hear that one. I want to hear that one. I want to go. So if so you really want to, the ADD yeah, room. you can watch eight sessions at once. Just right. keep hopping. Click, 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 click. But that's what the start menu kind of reminds yeah. me of. It's all it's these the, different things asking for attention at yeah. the same time. But I, it, it had no, what really hit me with what you said, Atlee, is that once you click away from that screen, there's no toast. There's no pop-ups. There's no distractions. Yeah. You get to go to an There's app no and be in the app. Yeah, no, exactly. And that, and that's, I think, where that's where the beauty of it lies, is that you can go and get something done. And with the UI that they've done with the Metro UI, and I'm sorry, I'm going to keep calling it Metro UI. Because it's such a good I, name. It's a fantastic It'll name. never be a grocery store in Germany to Exactly, me. no. <laughs> I, will, I will never go to a grocery store named Metro. No. <laughs> Even though they have them in Canada, too. Um, <laughs> Who knew? 
Um, but the Metro UI basically really does push forward that information first. Right. If you want to see things as a, as an aggregate, you have the ability of snapping them That's down more into like an aggregate, but then you can drill down to the piece that you want, and that yeah. piece takes over the screen, and you get the information. You consume it quickly, easily, and you can move on. Swipe, and it's gone. Pull it down, it's gone. One of the reasons I think that this is difficult for some, some of us to grok, and we had a comment, we talked to a gentleman here who said, isn't it going to be difficult for people to understand all this stuff because the, the metaphor for the UI is so different? And in thinking about that for a minute, it's much simpler. And so, therefore, all the stuff that we thought, you know, it was difficult to learn, now we have to forget. But it, remember, it was difficult. And software, we've always said the software is difficult. When you open up a, a piece of software, even if when you see Word for the first time, you see the <laughs> ribbon, and you see, and you're looking for the, dr for the steering wheel. I want to print you know, something. Where yeah, I want to print something. Where's the printer icon? It's like you have to learn their particular application's nuances about how to drive this car. But, you know, when you take all that stuff away and then there's subtle psychological cues about, like you said, if you have to have a help file with your mobile app, it's not a good mobile app. It should, you should, there should not be training required to use software anymore. It's, it's predictability is the key word now. Yeah. Being predictable, being, be what's expected, like be what people are thinking should happen next. And, I, that and happen. I, I think about why we couldn't have had this before, and there is a good reason for that. Um, I think being constrained by a monitor and a screen, like a box, you know, the brain likes to put things in a box. And this is one of the reasons why we can't conceive of infinite space or infinite time, because there's no box, there's no boundary. So with that boundary, you have to stuff a lot of stuff into it. And also, if you think about graphics cards being what they are and what they were back in Battleship Gray days, you don't have the option to just switch screens real quick. Mm -hmm. You know, you drawing a screen takes resources and it also is complex. And in the old days, when you clicked on a tab that had a lot of controls, they sort of bubbled down, you know, because it took that long to... Or if you even drag something across the screen, you'd see it ghost yeah. across the screen. So we sort of, our brains sort of got programmed to, you know, be, try to put as much stuff on one screen as possible because it's actually... And I've said this before on the tablet show, you know, it, because it's a, a resource problem. Well, now, you know, like you said, the start screen puts people off because, oh my God, my windows just changed and I got this screen. Oh Where's yeah. Where's my start menu? You're mm -hmm. looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you, you start typing, you hit the windows key, you start typing, full screen comes up. You know, I type CMD, enter, boom, back in desktop mode and I got a command window. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it happens so fast. That you know, because we can do that, we've got more space. I just wonder how much of this actually has to do with the metaphor of the mouse, because the mouse needs boundaries. Yes. Right? The mouse has to go to the edge of the screen. All the controls are there. But as soon as you get rid of the mouse, there are no boundaries. You can scroll. You know, I think about how well WinPhone 7 especially did, where the text tended to go off the edge of the screen, just sort of encouraged you to right. swipe and see that there was more and yeah. more and more. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it seems to be all about engaging the user to consume the content at their pace. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing is that we've got to realize that not everybody has the same pace. So we can't just auto scroll things. We can't just make here, mm. here's 8,000 words. Go ahead, read. Here's, right. here's a few words. If you want to keep reading, keep reading. Right. Consume what you need and then continue when you're done. 
And, uh, with, with that, you know, you kind of, you need a macro view. You know, you talked about semantic zoom being a very great, uh, thing to get a big picture. But then you can zoom in on the details you want and take advantage of filters and searching and, and limiting, you know, the data sets that you're working on. At the end of the day, you're left with a list, a small list. And, uh, you know, I showed the newsreader app in my demo as a great example of a modern app. But, you know, and I hear the comment all the time, yes, but not every, the newsreader's already written. That's not, corporate software isn't a newsreader. But last time I checked, corporate yes, software is, is all about lists. And all about news. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lists and information. Yeah. And that's really what, what these things are all about. And details. Yeah. When you click on them, you get into a detail screen. Well, I mean, we've all spent several years building credit apps. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes right down to it, now you have the ability to add a little more style, a little more flair, uh, and make them easier to consume and easier to, uh, take advantage of, uh, the, the features that are there and the abilities of the user on whatever device they're on. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting time to be a developer, but it's also a scary time to be a developer. Well, the reason I started off with this question about how does the culture of the phone sort of drive into corporate software is because I, th I think there might be a tendency for people in, you know, who, whose job it is to write software in their companies to say, well, that's fine for the iPhone or the iPad or the Twitter client or whatever, but I'm writing business software here. Why should I, you know, have, why should I go chasing gold trying to make a Windows phone app or this app? And, and, you know, and I think you're going to say what I'm thinking right now, which is, you know, this is just an, a new way to build software that is going to land in your lap sooner or later. And, uh, for example, I've just finished a, a project with a, uh, a company in Toronto, and they basically were originally, first meetings, well, why are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? This doesn't make any sense. It's not our model. Hmm. Uh, they built, a web, they have a web app that they built. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so what they ended up coming up with was a really beautiful new way to present the same old information to the users in a very, very engaging way, plus give their users a way to um, do some of the work that they would normally have to sit in front of their computer and do, mm -hmm. wherever they are. Right. And that is hugely engaging right. and very valuable. When you, when you look at the opportunity of being able to build something that someone can just take with them and sit down somewhere comfortable and do it. Yeah. I think you've changed the metaphor then. You, you know, you think about the classic desktop computer, keyboard, mouse in a cubicle mm. where you bring the work to the computer. As soon as you're on a tablet or a phone or any device like that, now you bring the computer to the work. And the UI is different. The way you enter data, the way you manipulate data is completely different. But it's mm -hmm. it's contextual of where you are. But the the other beautiful thing, though, is too, is with the with the new uh, uh, local settings and roaming settings they have in Windows Eight. Mm -hmm. You can do one part of the work here, close it, go back to your office, and it's boom, it's right there. It's right. Ready to but go. now you're plugged you're, in, you're, you you plug it into a station. There's a bigger screen, exactly. a real keyboard, a real keyboard, and you're ready to go right there and do that. See, so do you actually see that sort of model that a, yeah. a guy could take his tablet with him, go into the field, do, do some type type of data collection? And the classic one for me, of course, is that now you can capture some pictures. Assessments. That, that sort of yeah, 
we always, I always end up in the insurance claim sort of yeah, thing, yeah, but exactly. I, I want to go more general. I want, I'm trying to find other metaphors in that, but I just find it really interesting that there's, there's certain aspects of data collection in the field, mm -hmm. but then to take it back and still do more work on it. Well, the, the perfect model that, that I know of is uh, one of the companies I used to work for, um, they did large asset management. Mm -hmm. So buildings, uh, uh, business parks, whole oh, yeah. schools. And so they're doing um, an inspection. And so they go and do an inspection with the device. Then they bring it back. Mm. The data is automatically there. They plug it in to do the rest of it on a part where you need a keyboard to do that part. Mm -hmm. Right. But the pictures are already taken. They're already annotized. They're already location-specific. You've already gained so much information that the user didn't even have to put in because, you know what, the device knew where you were when you took the picture. Right. Yeah. Right? They, the device... Um, knew what time it was when you took the picture. You have all of this information that you didn't have to enter in, and that's part of one of the things I was talking about earlier is making use of the device's abilities to get the information that you need. Yeah. I could see from as, an as a guy doing assessments like that, that going back through those photos and maybe voice annotations or even video will bring them back there and remind them of the notes they, 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 they wanted to take, but mm -hmm. yeah. doing it in the field is too hard. But a quick voice note is not that hard. Right. And then they probably would transcribe or write that out in more detail. Or speech recognition, for example. Yeah. Another good uh, thing. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. This idea of being contextual to me hit home with the Amazon Kindle yes. where uh, I was reading a book on my Kindle and I got to a certain page and then I went to my PC and I pulled it up on the PC and I'm right where At I left page, off. Exactly. It's yeah. awesome. And that's a simple idea, but driving the point home of being contextual, it's not about the app. Mm -hmm. It's about what you're doing. And so here's a cla another classic example of how this goes wrong. You're, you're an insurance claim guy and you, you know, it's 1130 in the afternoon and you're talking to a customer and you're in his record and you're five screens deep into this thing and you're in some grid and looking at some value or something like that. Oh, time to go to lunch. Well, I got to log out of my PC. So I'm out of my PC and I come back and my app's gone or something. You know, maybe the IT did an update and my machine had to reboot or whatever. I got to get back into that app and, you know, back drill where down. I was, yeah. drill down and open it up. Whereas if the thing knew what I was doing... Well, and also find it, out it would the just, data didn't save because yeah, it doesn't recognize state But it knows and, that. Like, yeah, I, yeah. just open me up and put me back where I was. Exactly. So, but the problem is, you know, being five screens deep in an MDI application or something like that is difficult to 
do programmatically. But, but realistically, it's not if you're doing it in an application that has several screens or is scrolled through right. several it groups of screens. It does seem to be a tendency to get rid of hierarchy, position. right? Exactly. So that it's well, much it, easier to maintain that state position. It helps to hide the concept of hierarchy from mm-hmm. the user because yeah. the user doesn't necessarily need to see it the no, way they we don't. see it. That's right. right. And that's one of the things is that uh, in the traditional apps, the users saw and had to understand way more than they really needed to that's to true. get their jobs done. Mm-hmm. So they had to learn a lot more of what we had to do yep. than they really needed to know. Like and they needed to understand how to use the data in that point, not why the data was related that particular way and went that way and how exactly. it got there. Well, it gets back to that newsreader app you're showing. Is you know, all I wanted to read was the story, and right. the bulk of the screen is tied up in the navigation to the story. Absolutely, and figuring out what you know where on the screen. Uh, how many musicians? Raise your hand. All right. Anybody do any home recording? About a dozen. Yeah. Anybody use Cakewalk? Remember good old Cakewalk? <laughs> oh yeah. Sonar. Fox. <laughs> Is that the worst user interface you've ever seen in your life? I actually started thinking about doing music until I opened up Cakewalk one day and I was like, I Sonar can't do this. is done. the most ridiculous, you know, you will learn my user interface yeah. and you will like it <laughs> and it's not going to make any sense. You know, I go, this was great. I'm just trying to turn the metronome on, right? Or something that simple. And I didn't, you know, I'm looking at a sea of buttons on the toolbar. My brother's there with me, of course, working on the album, and he's getting, he's laughing at me, and I'm getting so mad. And I go to help, right? Help will tell me where the metronome button is. So I search help for metronome, says, and it says in the help file, to turn the metronome on, click on the metronome button. There's no picture of what it looks like. What the F is going And I go around and around with this program, and I'm just thinking, like, this is the quintessential bad user interface. You know, that is the perfect example of how not to write software uh, in the modern app world. No, exactly. And one of the things is, like, for example, in your newsreader app, um, there was nothing there about printing it. Right. Right? There doesn't have to be. If I want to print it, then you go to the devices. Right. Right? And that's where if you've enabled the devices, then you'll be able to print, send to a device. Yeah. So, I mean, the concept of thinking, hey, just show the user what they're doing now. Give them the options to do what they want to do later, but don't put it right in front of them. Well, one of the great things about Windows 8, getting back to this, is that a lot of the things that you do in every app have been abstracted to the OS. So, searching, printing, sharing... All of that stuff is now operating system function. And when you hook into that, you hook into it with, with a class and you handle an event. It's a contract, it's called. Mm-hmm. And you basically handle an event. You say, I'm, you know, for searching, for example, you I say, wanna I want to be a search provider. Yeah. And so when somebody's in your app and they go to that search charm, they type in whatever, you get a, an event that has the text that they typed in. Yep. Great. Now I can limit what I'm showing on the screen based on that search criteria. It's that simple. So you don't have to put a search button on your app. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's fantastic. Now, if they just had a metronome charm. <laughs> <laughs> what I find interesting is that, I mean, going back to the old UI standards and the way we were building like the MDI apps, we had those same sort of rules, but they're just a totally different context. File goes over here, and under that should be open and new and close yeah. and save, and help goes over here, and it shouldn't be of any help at all. And, <laughs> you know, 
where the toolbar was. I mean, we had all of these rules, but they didn't get down to those sort of essential verbs that the charms now represent. Yeah, exactly. And there were just too many of them. I mean, in most cases, there's too much stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, in Word, um, what do people use, like 1% of Word? Yeah. Mm. And uh, the rest of it is just there for the 14 publishers that helped build Word. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even then. Every help file should just be three words. Just be awesome. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. So do you ultimately, I mean, I, I guess the WinPhone especially, and I'm amazed you're still building them because we're just sort of in this, the next few weeks, Phone 8 comes out and the whole thing's disrupted. Yeah, I know. But the beautiful thing is, is Microsoft's going to recompile all my apps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. work on 8. All your apps are going to go straight across to 8. Exactly, yes. Yeah, so I guess the question for you as an app builder yes. is once this has all happened, do you keep building Phone 7 apps to support the Phone 7 community that's out there and then let them re-recompile those 8 apps? Or do you start building native 8 apps and leave 7 behind? What I'll be doing is, um, uh, I'm, I'm actually, my goal is to build, uh, release another 50 apps this year. Um, so I did 50 in You know, there's uh, a cream for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are these 50 new apps, new ideas? Yeah. yeah. New ideas. Yeah, I'm, I, um, I'm plagued with ideas, actually. I'm sitting at, uh, I've got a, a spreadsheet with over 1,500 new app ideas that I haven't hmm. written yet and uh, over 400 Windows 8 app ideas that I haven't written yet. So um, I can't seem to build apps quickly enough, no matter mm -hmm. how hard I try. Um, so, uh, I, I actually have been working with other developers and going, here's an idea, take it, run, good luck. <laughs> um, so I, I've done that with, uh, with a few developers now and, and, uh, some of them have been pretty interesting, had some pretty interesting outcomes. So you're going to keep building on, for phone seven? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build, um, for phone seven till, um, I guess until the end of, um, End of October, November, and that's when I'm doing my. Well, that's basically when Phone push. Eight comes yeah, out, which is right? Basically, when it comes out, and at that point, um, any any breaks in those last fifty, because I've already fixed any breaks or any issues with the first fifty from the summer. Um, any breaks that come up with that, I'll fix those in Phone Seven. But after that, I'll start migrating all of my apps to Windows Phone that Eight. Yeah, I get, therein lies the real question, which is: Okay, Microsoft's going to do this great cross compile for you over to Phone Eight. But if you're going to start building new features that are specific to Phone 8, that means remaking your app in Phone 8. Yes, yes. Um, in, and it in doesn't cases, work in Silverlight. Um, well, there's, um, there's some changes. I mean, there's, there's some, some congruity, mm -hmm. yeah, um, but there are definitely some changes. Sort of like Silverlight to Windows, Windows 8. Yeah, pretty Windows much. Yeah. I mean, it's actually very, very close to the, yeah. same, uh, okay. the same UI elements, which is actually pretty good because yeah, what I've nice. done is I've taken some of my more popular Windows phone apps and turned them where they made sense into Windows 8 apps. Now, so, that's a totally different thing. I mean, it's one thing to go phone 7 to phone 8. Hmm. But the thing is, is then the transition back to phone 8 is very simple. Coming back from Windows 8 to Phone 8. Okay, so because I already have the UI, I understand the UI placement and, and mm -hmm. sizing. I have the general code changes that I need for the base code. Uh, it's essentially going to be mo mainly UI changes. And you're, are you are you doing purely working C Sharp XAML? Um, predominantly, yes. C okay, because C Sharp XAML works in Phone 7 mm -hmm. and Phone 8. Yep. and Win 8. Yeah, and I think it's the only one. Yeah. Wasn't that Pi app that you were writing though? Was that a DirectX thing? No, or? that's all C Sharp XAML. That is. Yeah, I actually wrote another one where. Um, and tell us what it is, and and by the way, I think you, you guys are dying to know what these what his most popular apps are, aren't you? Don't you want to know? 
Um, okay, so the the most popular one that I have is um, is a Wi-Fi app that literally just takes you right to the settings. Um, like I said, it was five lines of code. It's um, a line of code to bring me to the settings and four lines of code to do uh, a tile change to modify the tile in the background. So what does it do, actually? It literally just opens up the tile. The, uh, it shows so you don't you have whether to, you're connected or not? So you don't have to go to settings, s- start settings. Um, scroll to Wi-Fi. Scroll to Wi-Fi, open up the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. It's, it just it tells you like whether five you're, clicks. Whether you're but the connected. thing is, it's ridiculous. And this is the whole thing about making things effective and easy and awesome is mm. that it's one click, I'm right to the Wi-Fi. You don't have no idea how excited people get about that. <laughs> it's rid- And you have no idea how excited so, I was about it when I first So anything worked. you can do to save clicks? Anything you can do to save people time. That's actually one of the big things about Windows Phone and why it's, it's as popular as it is and it's gaining popularity is that it is built around the model of get you in, get the information to you and get you out and on with your life. Mm. So you can do other fun things, right? And people are turning off their Wi-Fi. And yeah. Which is is smart. Which is smart because it saves your battery life. It's not just that. You got a list of my latest Ron As Radio app where we talk about how well we can exploit Wi-Fi over phones these days. It's pretty terrifying. (laughs) Okay, I'll have to definitely. Is that where that Starbucks story came from? You were telling me this is clearly a sales tool for your app. You should always turn your Wi-Fi off when you're not actively using it. And you should always use my app to do that. So yeah, (laughs) we've got the latest Run As Radio coming out in the next week or two. Where I've interviewed a guy, a security specialist on Wi-Fi, where he demonstrated with a tiny little Raspberry Pi device and some custom programming where he could not only take, you could have your phone in your back pocket, Wi-Fi left on because your phone's literally out there pinging saying, is my home network out here? Then that it says that it's just, you know, we have a preferred network. It's yeah. literally asking, is this SSID existing? And so this one will actually say, yes, I am your SSID. And if your SSID happens to be a common one, like say Linksys, well, (laughs) the combination of common SSIDs with all of the passwords that have leaked, they've done rainbow table computations for all the WPA PSK computations. So he's got something like 14 million of those combinations in this device. And if you're one of those combinations, he can read your encrypted connection like and convince your phone that you're connected at home. So you'll just start start communicating. And so if you've written a pretty good spoofer, he'll get, what, what does your phone do as soon as it connects? Here's my Foursquare password. Here's my email password. Here's a boom, 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 boom. Oh, and it gets better. He also has Evil. a tool in there that if you're not already connected, if you're connected to a network already, it'll make you disconnect and then ask for your most, your number one preferred oh, net- network yeah. and it'll connect to that one. Nice. Like the That's awesome. Wi-Fi is exploitable. Like I'm, your tools are useful too. I already do this settings, Wi-Fi, shut it off and only turn it on when I want to use it. You got to go turn your Wi-Fi off. Is that what you're doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the fun about doing the IT related shows. Every so often, a real serious security guy comes on and scares the snot out of you. So, so getting back to your apps, what's your most popular app? Um, So that's probably one of the most popular. The Wi-Fi one. Um, I've got a couple of uh, a couple of games. I've got one that actually got really popular because uh, someone got really upset about it. Um, it's called Getting Sheepy. And uh, I actually <laughs> built it um, at the uh, the uh, Telerik Summit last year. Oh, really? Remember we were sitting talking at dinner one night, and uh, one of the one of the, the, the girls from Telerik said, uh, oh, yeah, I, all I have to do is just turn on my my counting sheep app, and I'm out like a light. So nice. I went back after dinner and wrote one. A but then I put, a, sh- I put yeah. a shocker in the middle of it. <laughs> What? And then released it without telling anybody that there's a shocker in the middle of it. Okay, so what do you mean by a shocker? Well, it, it goes through a random count of 
five to ten seconds, and then a really scary image pops up and it screams at you. Ah, uh, so it wakes you right up. Great for going to sleep. <laughs> and so, uh, a couple of days after releasing it, I get an angry email from a user saying, "Thanks." A hole, my kids won't go to sleep now. <laughs> he thought your app was really for helping his kids go to sleep. And I, I sort of uh, responded back, and he started tweeting badly about it, and the downloads just soared. Went through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no such so, thing as bad press. So That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it was never meant as a malicious thing. It was a funny joke. And yep. um, so I put it out, and I guess I probably shouldn't have marketed it as a great way to relax and fall asleep. But, no. um, it's like you should build this guy the real app so he could let his kids actually go well, to sleep. Well, actually, when it was built, um, if you'd looked at it, there are settings that you could turn the shocker off. Oh, I so see. So you can turn off and just use it to If to you happen kids. to look at the settings. Yes. Well, no, there's a settings thing right there. And, if and you, it's yeah. defaulted to on, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I build some apps just for me. Yep. Um, so what is, the, what is the simplest app? I mean, the Wi-Fi is a really good example, but give yeah. me another really simple app that does really well. Um, I wrote a note-keeping app that surprisingly is really, really easy. And it's incredibly popular because I made it so that, um, just simple, simple concept. Uh, it, you write your note and it saves them in a list. And if you click on the note, it expands the note so you can read it right there. You don't have to open it up. You can just pop it open, take a quick look at the note and then pop it closed. Hmm. And people really like that because it's, again, it follows that whole concept of getting the information quickly and, and, and putting it, you know. Hmm. Putting it back and getting on with your life. So um, people seem to really like it. Plus, I also added a few features that allow you to change the font size to whatever font size you want, the color to whatever you want, and hmm. customize uh, customize it fully. It's but, really funny that it's just all about simplicity and, and, and saving honestly, people I've, a click. I find that, honestly, every single one of my really popular apps are the simplest ones I've built. Hmm. Like, I find that it, it's actually really funny. I tend to find that... The less effort I put into over-designing something, the more uh, response I get back from the mm-hmm. user community. So it's not... The more you think about it, the worse it gets. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is that uh, as a developer, I'm thinking about building the battleship, right? I'm thinking about building the thing that will solve everything, every problem you've ever had. You right? need only one app. Exactly. But whereas uh, I've, got a, I've got a slide on, on a, one of the presentations I do where it shows a, a plain cockpit and it says, this is what we're thinking of building, but this is what the user really wants. And it shows leaving here, landing here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's right. it's so true. And it's so true. So I find that all of my apps that are really, really popular tend to be the ones that are simplest easiest to use and like, mm. like I said the kind that you can hand to someone and they just get it mm-hmm. like I handed you the Pi app yeah you looked at it for two seconds you know what it was and tell us about the Pi app okay this so is, the Pi app is um, it's sort of a learning tool slash game um, to help you learn Pi to more decimal points it's actually got Pi in it stored to 2000 decimal points um, and uh, you'll write the new version when more people run out of that's not enough if, if, if anybody hits the end then yeah, I, we'll I definitely. actually know some people who memorized it beyond 2000 ouch yeah <laughs> these are people who need a hobby 
Yeah, maybe fishing. <laughs> Paul Davis, if you're out there. Uh, yeah. That was amazing. Okay, so I'll, I'll do the Paul Davis update. Um, so anyway, so basically as you're typing in the numbers, as soon as you get it wrong, it throws a pie in your face. And <laughs> a pie splats on the screen. And then it tells you, you typed this number, it should have been this, and you know pi to this many decimal points. Mm. So, um, and it's just a little learning tool that's fun, and it helps kids and adults learn pi. And it's just, it's just yeah. a little fun tool. So one of the other apps that I have that I'm going to be releasing soon, I think will be pretty popular. I wrote the day after I had my hand put in a cast, and uh, um, it basically you just push a button, and it spins these cylinders with words on it. And there's nine words, and each, and the words are organized so that it will always make a grammatically correct sentence. <laughs> but they're hmm. random words. But they're random <laughs> words, so the sentences could be completely messed up. That's funny. So there's nine words, ten words on every cylinder, and it can make up to th- a little more than 3.46 billion possible combinations of sentences. Wow. So you could literally just sit there and spin that for a long time. Wow, good sentences. Exactly. Should be a pa- <laughs> <laughs> it's a password generator. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. And the thing is, you could do that. You yeah. could use it as a password generator. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just a little goofy thing. But um, uh, what it really, what I find tends to really push the applications over the edge or push the apps over the edge um, is when you give feedback or you get feedback from the users and you respond to it and you do the updates, mm-hmm. the users are usually really grateful and they mm-hmm. tend to tell people about it. They usually mm-hmm. either tweet about it or they give you a good review. And um, some of my best reviewed apps have been ones where I didn't get it right the first time. And yeah. the users told me, but I listened and I changed it and they're really happy about that. Mm-hmm. And I made modifications and, and things work a lot better. How many versions? Um, I... It depends on the apps. I've got some apps out there that I've I've only done one or two updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got other app, apps that I've done maybe seven or eight updates. But realistically, um, I don't go overboard with the updates uh, unless there's there's things that users want. So unless the customers really push it. If you. the customers are mm-hmm. interested and in, they're pushing it and and they want an, an update, then I definitely am willing to do it. And that's mm-hmm. that's part of it, right? I, I invest my time where I see the investment is warranted and appreciated. Sure. In that case. Is it Miller time? Getting that way. (laughs) All right. Well, then, a big hand for Allie Hunter. And we'll see you next time on the Tablet Show!